It's good to be back together, isn't it? And to continue our uh, study in uh, this subject of membership. And this morning we looked at what does it look like biblically? What does the Bible say about membership? And I felt like this evening, although we could have continued this morning and seen more metaphors and more biblical evidence for local church membership, that this evening would be an opportunity for us to look at the responsibilities uh, of local church members. I think that's an important thing that we must know and we we, we must understand as we approach this subject and as we are members. Um, So that's where we were this morning for those of you who weren't with us and are visiting. But before we look at that and before we turn to God's word, and we're going to be turning tonight again. I make no apology for that. That's... uh, uh, a good thing as we study God's word we're going to be turning uh, to different passages but before we do that maybe we just commit our time and as we open God's word let's pray to him Father we take this moment as we open your word and we read it again as, as no light and casual moment we take this seriously Because we're opening the the living word of God. And so as we do it and as we study it together tonight. As we move from passage to passage. We pray that this will be helpful. That you will speak to us. That as we look at the practical outworking of what a member is. As we look at the responsibilities of uh, the local church members. We pray that you will speak to us. You will help us and help us to understand And although sometimes it is not natural for us to want to uh, think about these things and submit in the way that it is calling us to be and to do in the Bible, we pray that tonight we will have souls and minds and hearts that are humble and willing to learn, willing to be shaped and transformed for your glory. So help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we saw just four of many metaphorical texts this morning uh, which show us so powerfully the wonder and the beauty of uh, being a member in the local church and why God ordained it that way and why Jesus taught uh, us about that. And we saw, for those of you who weren't here, let me just outline them for you, we saw that there was a metaphor and a very clear metaphor in Corinthians of the church being a body. So that was the first metaphor that we saw, the church being a body made up of Many members, just as our body is, all having different functions, but actually working together for his glory and for his good. All working together for a common purpose, a good common purpose. Secondly, we saw it was a family, and that is just what it is. When we saw that household metaphor, um, we we see that it is a, a family. We have our we have common interests. We, we look after one another. We're a network uh, of, of members of a family. Uh, thirdly, we saw it was a temple. Temple, those of us who are living stones, those who know Christ and have been uh, born again, those who are living stones, we are built on top of one another, side by side and uh, on top of one another, so that we build this temple. And in this temple, namely the body of believers, dwells the Spirit of God. 
And then number four, we looked at the flock. And really that gave us an opportunity to, to filter into what we're looking at tonight. And the reason I put the flock in this morning's sermon is because not only does it show that we are a select group of people, those who are members, and therefore as elders we know who you are and who to care for in a special way. Uh, but actually it allows us this evening to move from that point to looking at as a flock what is now your responsibility? You saw this morning something of our responsibility as leaders and as overseers of the flock, but now we begin to see the responsibility of the members. So let's go to the first point. And the first one is this. Members are to submit to their leaders, elders, or pastors. Hebrews thirteen 17. Let's turn there, shall we? Hebrews 13, this is our first uh, text that we're turning to tonight. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Here the author is talking again to the, the church and he says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you as a member. Let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians 5. We will hopefully know this from being in 1 Thessalonians a while ago. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12. Again, we know Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica. And as he brings these final words to the church as an encouragement, he says this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So, who should submit to a specific group of leaders who are over them in the Lord? Who is the New Testament writer addressing here? Well, it is the members of the church. Those who are committed to the church. And those who have expressed willingness to be led by the leaders. So that's really the answer to that question. You see, the biblical model of leadership and those in submission, in submission to the leadership plays itself out in two ways. Plays itself out in two ways. Firstly, those who are willing to commit themselves to lead the church. Difficult to submit to leaders when there's no leaders, right? So therefore, we need those who are willing to submit themselves and commit themselves to leading the church. That huge responsibility of which we have as elders so that's the first way it plays itself out but it's not complete with just that because there are those in the second part who must be willing to submit themselves to being led by the leaders so they have to be willing to submit themselves and this is a very important thing as we go forward in the church and as we've already read there in hebrews 13 and in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12 and as we read this morning it is not for us as leaders to take that for granted and to hold it over you and use it as leverage 
We do not abuse our power as elders. But at the same time, we need those who would be submissive to us so that we are able to lead you as best we know how. After all, in Hebrews 13 and 17, we are accountable for your soul. And that's huge. So this is the only way it works. Therefore, without such commitment, let's call it membership, it's difficult to see how we could take these commands to submit and to lead seriously and practically. They just don't work. So how can a leader lead those who do not accept him as a leader? How does a leader watch over his flock if he doesn't know who they are? And so responsibility number one for the member is to willingly submit to the appointed leadership. And funny enough, it is the way in the Baptist church that actually the members appoint the leaders. So you have appointed us, you have appointed me and the other four elders to lead. So in that way, which is very biblical, now it is an opportunity for you to submit to those who you have entrusted. And let me say this, we will lead prayerfully. And we are leading prayerfully and we are leading carefully for your benefit and the protection of the gospel and its proclamation. That's our, our mindset as we lead. And as a note here, great responsibility does not simply lie on behalf of the members in their submission to its leadership. You know, for us, we feel this great weight of responsibility. I was talking to Harold just this morning about this. And we feel in many senses unworthy of that calling. But yet we're very sure that God has called us to it. Secondly then, we see it is a responsibility of the member to regularly assemble together. So regularly assemble together. If we don't assemble, then we have no church. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Therefore, our gathering and our assembling together as members of the local church in the name of Jesus Christ is what makes us a church. Remember those lone rangers I talked about earlier this morning? They're just a contradiction to what God has already ordained, what Christ has already taught and commanded us to be. And the reader, uh, as we see here in, in Hebrews, is strongly encouraged, encouraged to do this. Let's turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We're strongly encouraged to do this in this verse, or these verses. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Neglect of regular, regularly assembling as members of the local church is what is at stake. It is a growing fashion, unfortunately. Uh, and that's what's at stake. The application we draw from this then, firstly, is we are not to neglect the church, surely, 
you know, that is, that is what we mustn't do. Neglect the church. That's what the author is calling us to do. He says, do not neglect it, but do the opposite. And therefore, the opposite of neglect is cherish. And if we cherish the church, namely the body of believers in the church, the members, then it will transform our thinking about the church. Like you would cherish a fine piece of jewellery. You know, that is something you would keep safe and you would look after and you would preserve and you would, it would take priority for you in your life. And so it should be for the church. Well, why should we cherish the church? Well, above all, as I said this morning, it's because it's a place where we can stir one another up to love and good works, verse 24. It's that sort of place. We become more effective as a result of our gathering together. And as we meet and function as a body of believers, each with their own function, we become a force to be reckoned with. We really do. Because as we said this morning, the temple of believers possesses something incredibly powerful. God the Holy Spirit. So we are never to neglect regularly gathering gathering together, but cherish them like precious gold. And this leads me to my third responsibility and it is that members should love one another members should love one another John 13 let's go there John chapter 13 John 13 and verse 35 John 13 and 35 says this. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what we should do. We should love one another. Yes, we should love our neighbours and we know that. We should love those in our community and, and those who we work with. But we should love one another. And sometimes that's hard work. But we must strive to do that. And because we do that, we are then known to be disciples. That is a characteristic of a New Testament disciple. That is a characteristic of all the disciples who sit in the pews in front of me. And one author says this, saying that church members are responsible to love one another is almost like saying birds have a responsibility to fly. It just becomes key element of your life it's a, an outworking in your life which is, must, must be so natural just as a, a bird flying is, is so natural to them and our love and affection for one another for God's people defines our new identity in Christ see 1 John 4 and 7 says that it shows us that and how and how we should be, and how we should act, and how we should respond to one another. Well, how is that love for one another normally expressed? How do we express that love for one another? Well, in the New Testament, love is tangible. It's active and expressed through service. Service. Serving one another in various ways, it is expressed that way. And we have a duty 
to the other members of the body to genuinely and lovingly care for them. And if we take this responsibility to love one another, then we'll actively seek to be discipled and disciple others. Because that's intricate in disciple making. If we love one another, we're actively caring for one another, then surely not only practical aid will help, but spiritually we will be helping one another. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Verses 15 and 16. Here's a really good uh, marker for what it means to love one another and the result of it. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's how the body grows. That's how it is most effective. That is a key part, our love for one another. It is the whole church which is building itself up in love. Well, what does that building up in love look like? You know, we can throw these phrases out, and I can do that. But actually, let's think about what does that look like. Building up in love. What does it look like? Well, firstly, it's not done out of a passive attitude toward church unity. If you are simply sitting back and you don't really have any cares about unity in the church and unity with your brothers and sisters in this place, it's just not going to work. We must strive to maintain and promote a spiritual, uh, a spirit of unity and love uh, and, and in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4 and 3. Secondly, we won't leave wandering members behind, but pursue them for their good. How often we do this. And I've seen it in in the past so often that when we see a wandering member, we're almost happy to let them wander. Because we just don't know how to deal with that situation. How do we rally around them? How do we bring them back into the fold? That's not just the elders' responsibility, although it is. It's up to us as a body of believers to rally those who are wandering members. And that's that's a... a stunning thing when that's been practiced out. As we as elders look out and we see the church body doing that for one another, it's thrilling. Thirdly, we'll take prayer seriously. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, don't need to go there, and Ephesians 6 and 18, it says, and we should instruct, it instructs us to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 and 2 says the same. We take prayer seriously. Our corporate prayer times must be serious. And that doesn't mean just here where we pray at the front, but actually as we meet to pray, we pray for one another, we carry each other in prayer and your burdens, in private and in corporate ways as well. Fourthly, a very practical way, we show hospitality. Now you're good at this, I think. We've felt this. We show hospitality, Romans 12 and 13. 
It's a wonderful way, isn't it, to encourage and show love for one another. And for guests, uh, you know, those who come in, those who are new to our congregation. And we've, as I said, we've uh, arrived in January. We felt that straight away. Fifthly, put others' interests ahead of your own. Philippians 2 and 4. It's very, it's very easy, I think, even for myself, to put my interests ahead of others. Sometimes it's very easy to put our interests ahead of our spouse and our kids. We need to get that right, and then we need to get it right in the church. Putting others, put, uh, putting other in, others' interests ahead of our own. And then sixth, sixthly, I think the working out of this building up in love is uh, as we seek to develop meaningful relationships. That we're not just acquaintances on a Sunday morning and evening and a Wednesday, but actually our our relationships and our love go beyond the Sunday services. So this is the role of the entire body of believers who are members of the church. And fourthly, and this is not, and as I said this morning, this does not encompass all of your responsibilities. These are not just four things that you need to do and that's it. There's a lot more. But these are four important ones. And the fourth one is this, we need to protect the gospel. Again, this responsibility can be pushed solely onto the eldership of the church, its leaders and its pastors. And this can become their responsibility alone. After all, they open God's word and they preach God's word and that's what they do. Preaching the truth, protecting the gospel and its witness from this place is all of our Responsibility. You don't need to be standing here. How you protect the gospel, you can be, you can do it from from there, from your own in your own life, and then as a member of the church, that is your responsibility. You know, we have a structure of plurality of eldership, and the church membership is in, is a structure that we have because it means that we are being diligent in our protection of the gospel. What do I mean here? This, this really gets behind the scenes maybe to what we do and how, why we do it. Well, we have a plurality of eldership and we have church membership because it allows us to be diligent in protecting the gospel. See, we're all fallible people. And as elders, we keep each other right. We're accountable for each other. And as members, we keep each other right. We're accountable to one another. And that is why it's such an important structure and therefore every church member is responsible to uphold and affirm the gospel. So finally, let's turn to Galatians 1, 2. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2. And these verses tell us why. Why are we responsible as a membership of the church to protect the gospel? It's because of things like this. Galatians 1, verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. And then read verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The church turned to another gospel. And as we continue reading, he says it's not, not that it was a gospel at all. But they turned to a new belief system you know we are 
prone to wander. And Paul writes to the churches in Galatia and he chastises the church, not the elders, for turning to this different gospel. He held the congregation accountable. He held the members of that church accountable for allowing error to creep in and distort the gospel. This may surprise you or may scare you, having such a high responsibility. But let me say a few things here. Not every member can or will master the intricacies of systematic theology. But every member should be able to articulate and defend the substance of the gospel. You should be able to do that. And secondly, here's a practical challenge. When was the last time you read the church's statement of faith? Nakani's statement of faith. When was the last time you read it? It's on the website. I wonder, I wonder how much you know of that. Could you repeat it? Could you at least give me some idea of what it said? What do we believe here as a church? You see, it's an uncomplicated document actually, if you go and read it. It's short and it allows us to be aware of any turning from the gospel to a different gospel. Just as they were experiencing in Galatia. I think when we have this responsibility in mind and we take it seriously, it transforms our personal time with God. That's one thing I think it changes. We now have another purpose for reading God's word. Not that we should need more purposes, but we do have another purpose now. That we make uh, time to know God's word so that we may protect God's word and the gospel from within the body of believers as members of the church. And this ultimately is going to drive you and the church to deeper maturity in faith. That's what it's going to drive you to. That is the path that that leads on. If you have a responsibility to protect the gospel, then you need to know the gospel. You need to know what we believe here. And therefore, it will drive you naturally to a deeper maturity in your faith. So there are four practical responsibilities that must be taken up and applied to each member of this church. Submission to eldership, leaders and pastors, regularly assembling together for the benefit of your spiritual life and the spiritual life of this church and the body. Thirdly, that our gathering would allow our love for one another to flourish. And fourthly, that we together would take up the responsibility of protecting the gospel whether it be through the teaching of it or how we disciple one another in keeping each other on a path that is worthy of our high calling. So may God, by his word, help us to know these and more and have a fresh and new perspective of what it means to be a member of the local church. And it's a wonderful responsibility. You know, we have a great privilege and benefit of of being a member of the local church. And having union with Christ and union in the body of Christ in the church by our membership. So let's think about these things as we go forward, as we go into this new week and as we go forward as a church. Let's rethink and let's go and dig deeper into God's word and find those other responsibilities as well. We'll come back to this. And we'll look at it in in more detail in, in the future. 
But there you are. Four metaphors this morning for church membership. Four responsibilities for the member this evening. Let's take it seriously. Let's take up the challenge. And let's be those who together as a body of believers do all that we can for the glory of God. Let's pray, shall we? And then we'll sing.